Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 40, the 40th Psalm. We're going to look at that in a few minutes, and, and for a few minutes, and just talk about this day. But I want to remind you, it is Easter, and we've sung about his crucifixion, we've sung about his resurrection. You know, the resurrection is not something that is just a fairy tale. I'm always amazed at Easter time with the various news weekly magazines. They always have to have an Easter religious kind of cover story. And yesterday, my Time magazine came, and it was about heaven, rethinking heaven. I haven't read that yet because I was too taken by the Newsweek cover story, which I don't take Newsweek, but, it, but a friend sent it to me, and, and it was uh, talking about Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus of history, not the Jesus of faith, as though those are two different ones. Talked about how there was no way to really, uh, you know, to really get a lot of historical accuracy out of the Gospels, but you just kind of have to look at Jesus and what he'd said and the miracles he did. You take those miracles with a grain of salt, but what he said was some really cool stuff is basically what Andrew Sullivan was saying in that article. But basically he was saying, you know, and one line in there that really caught my attention, he said, you know, the, the emphasis of the Gospels is really about what Jesus said. And it's not about the cross and the resurrection. Now, my first thought was, Andrew Sullivan heard somebody say that, and he's never really read the Gospels. Because the emphasis of the Gospels is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. The emphasis is that, that he came into the world and he said some really good things. He taught some really clear ethical teachings and he shared some things with us that were very important. But the reality is he came into the world with the cross in sight. He came into the world to die in order that he might take on the sins of, of his people and he might die in their place as a substitute and as a sacrifice and that he might be buried in the grave and everybody be absolutely saddened and confused only to be awakened on the third day, on Sunday, on Easter Sunday with the reality and the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of my good friends in Maryland who's a pastor posted something yesterday. He said he was at the, his church's Easter egg hunt. And he said, I'm still trying to figure out what Easter egg hunts have to do with Easter. And he said, but I will try to rationalize. A few hours later, he posted an answer to that. He said, I figured it out. On Friday, he died. On Saturday, it was a day of mass confusion, thus the Easter egg hunt. And on Sunday, it was a day of great joy. I think that's pretty good. It's a pretty good understanding. It's about the death it's about the resurrection of Christ. Paul said to the, to the Corinthians, he said, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain also. So it's about the cross. It's about the resurrection. It's about the work of Christ accomplished on that cross. And we come today because of that. But in reality, we meet every Sunday because of that. Every Sunday is a reminder of his resurrection. That's why we meet on Sunday and not on the Jewish Sabbath, because the early church changed the time of worship to celebrate his resurrection. And, and so one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection is that you and I are here today to acknowledge it, to rejoice in it, 
and to thank God for it. But you know, on this day, we have a, as Grace Baptist Church, we have a lot of things to be thankful for on our minds. And, uh, but I want to be sure that the, the ultimate thing we are praising God for today and thanking God for is the gift of his son, our sacrifice, our substitute on the cross. That the real thing we're rejoicing in today is what I used as a call to worship out of Psalm 40, verse 16, when it said, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified. And David is simply saying there, there is a, there is a need for the people of God who love him and love his salvation to magnify his name. Now, what in the world does it mean to magnify him and magnify his name? What does it mean that the Lord be magnified? Well, one thing it means is that, uh, or there's two ways of looking at that word magnify. There's two different perspectives you can look at it. Some of you who are in high school and college uh, magnify things all the time. You use a, a, a microscope. And you find things that are very small, maybe cells, maybe bacteria, some other thing. And you look at them through a microscope, microscope, things you can't see with your eyes. They're so small, they're so tiny, but by looking through the microscope, you make them big. Some of you are like me. Because of a little bit of advanced age, you sometimes use a magnifying glass just to read. Or you get magnifiers on these glasses so that you can see and read and understand what you're reading a little better. That's one way of looking at magnify. That is not what David has in mind when he writes his psalm. The other one is to take the illustration of a telescope. A telescope is a, is a device that you take to look at objects that are far away and to our naked eye look to be small. You know, you go out tonight and you're just standing in this parking lot. I did it. Friday night, as everybody had gone and the lights weren't on, and I stood in that parking lot, and I looked up at the sky, and there was not a cloud in the sky, and the, the stars were twinkling, like, like uh, just beautifully. And, you know, if you just look at that, you'll say, man, that is a tiny speck in the universe. That is so small. That is so insignificant, that, that star up there. But had I gone and gotten a telescope, or better yet, gone to an observatory where they had a big mirrored telescope, and looked through that telescope at that star that was far out in our galaxy, I would look at it and I would say, wow, that thing is big. That's what our purpose is as the church. God is not small. So we don't need a microscope. We don't need a magnifying glass. But the problem is that in many people's understanding, in many people's perception, God is far away and he looks really small. Now, he's not really far away. But I think the church has done a lot through the years, sadly, to make it appear that he is so far away that he looks really small. Somebody wrote a book not long ago, When when Man is Big and God is Small. And that's kind of where we've come in our culture and in our day. Even within our churches many times, we feel like we're the most important thing. We're the thing that's big. And God's just out there small somewhere. And when we need him, we will call on him. But the scripture indicates that our God is an awesome God. Our God is a mighty God. Our God is a huge God in the sense of his character and his, and his attributes. And there's nothing small about him. But a lot of times the church eclipses that truth. The church sometimes, and even sermons sometimes, begin to eclipse who God is. Like the moon eclipses the sun from time to time. And if they get lined up just right, the moon moves between the earth and the sun, and we look up at the sky, everything grows dark, and we say, oh, 
The sun must have gone out. There's, there's no light anymore. The sun's shining just as bright and just as big as it ever did. But the moon has blocked it for a short period of time. Sadly, I'm afraid that in our day, the church and believers have kind of come between God and the world, in, in a sense, in a way of eclipsing, so that those around us, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, and all those we see, don't see the reality of how great a God we serve because we kind of block the view. We kind of eclipse him a bit. And the thing we must seek to do is what the psalmist is talking about here. We must seek to magnify him. We must seek to exalt him. We must seek to reveal him. We must seek to show him in all of his glory to all of those around us. Grace Baptist Church is in existence because of the glory of God. Grace Baptist Church is in existence because of the grace of God. We serve a big God. There is no reason, humanly speaking, I've got to tell you, there is no reason, humanly speaking, we ought to be sitting here this morning in this sanctuary with all of you people sitting here and enjoying this time in this beautiful facility. There, there's just no, no humanly way we could, we, we ought to say we're five and a half years old. We're 355 members or 357 members. I mean, the, you know, in reality, it's just not humanly possible that we are here. But we are here because of the greatness of our God. And we need to remember that this morning, and we need to think about that a bit this morning, and and we need to proclaim that. You know, several of you, as we came in this morning, said, Oh, pastor, congratulations. Oh, pastor, thank you. Oh, pastor, whatever. And I was gracious. But what I really wanted to say is, don't thank me. What God has done in this place, he's done more in spite of me than because of me and in spite of the staff rather than because of the staff. I tend to get in his way too often, but he has done a miraculous work. He has done a powerful work, and it's all by his grace and all by his power and all for his glory. That's kind of what the psalmist is talking about. David is talking about in Psalm 40. I'm, I'm going to read it. I want you to hear this. There's, there's three distinct sections here that I want you to to see. And I won't be long on them, but I I think it's important on this day that we think about this and hear it. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a new song of praise to our God. Many will see and many will hear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Bird offering and sin offering you have not required. Behold, I, uh, then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in, in, in the great congregation. You're the great congregation. I proclaim glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. 
Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. And loving kindness is just another word for grace, by the way. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities, my sins have overtaken me, so I'm not, I'm not able to see. There are more numerous, they are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame. Who say to me, aha, let all who seek you, here's that call to worship, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me, for you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. There's three things here, three sections, if you will, of this psalm, and I want you to see them briefly. The first one is David expressing a joyful testimony of God's past deliverance. In, in verses 1 through 3, he, he talks about waiting for the Lord in the midst of pain, in the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. It says, I, I trusted the Lord, I waited on the Lord, I, I needed the Lord more than anything else in my, in my struggles. I, you know, I, I don't know how you picture being in a pit or in the miry clay, but it's just about as low and just about as difficult a situation as you could ever have. David said, that's where I was, and I I called out to the Lord, and the Lord heard my cry, and he delivered me. He set me upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. He says, in the past, I've gone through some tough times. I've gone through some difficult situations that were not of my own making, David says. And and I didn't know how to get out of them. I couldn't get out of of my own. But I trusted you, and I asked you to intercede, and I prayed to you, and I asked you to incline your ear to me, and you heard me, and you acted. That is our testimony at Grace Baptist Church. We were born out of prayer. And we were born out of a commitment to God's truth in God's word above everything else. We were born out of a a desire to proclaim and magnify the Lord in, in every circumstance, in every ministry, in every time we come together for worship. That is our, that, that was, and that is our desire. I, I stand here this afternoon, or this morning rather, on this platform, and I. I'm reminded, even as we brought the Bible and the cross and the elements of the Lord's Supper in and the, and all, and the globe to remind us of our world vision, our world ministry, I, I'm, I'm reminded and I thought about the fact that not only is there a Bible, was there a Bible laid on the Lord's Supper table, not only uh, am I reading from a Bible from this pulpit, but right below this pulpit encased in this concrete is a Bible open to Romans 1, 16 and 17. 
which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek, to all who believe. I am not ashamed of the gospel. That has been our commitment from the beginning. We don't play games. We don't, go through, we, we don't try to jump through hoops of entertainment. We come. We worship. We study the word from call to worship till closing. We just focus on him and worshiping him and magnifying his name. And may God always keep it that way. That was our beginning commitment. May that always stay our commitment because he heard us. He inclined his ear to us, and he heard our cry. The, the second part is verses 4 through 10, which is really a, a present reflection on God's goodness. He said, how blessed is the man who, who has made the Lord his trust. Now, that's an interesting way to say it. But basically what David is saying there is, blessed is the man or the woman who have placed their faith in the Lord, placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Not trusting in their religious deeds, not trusting in their good deeds, not trusting in trying to be a better person or a good person, but who've put their trust in the Lord. He said, I came to realize sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. There are many people who are not Jewish today, who, who are from, from uh, Jesus' day, from Paul's day, or even from David's day, who would say, oh, but I must bring a sin offering. I must bring something in, in order for my sins to be forgiven. We, we don't say that, but many times that's how we act. Oh, I've got to go to church today because I sinned this week, and if I don't go to church, that sin won't be forgiven. And so we, we, try, to, we try to cover it up. We try to account for it ourselves. We try to deal with it ourselves. God doesn't want an offering from you for your sin. The only offering that will appease and, and, and deal with your sin has been offered 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross. And the only way you have that sin dealt with is through the cross of Christ. It's not through what you can do or what you can accomplish. It's through what he has done. And so, so David just reflects all the way through verse 10 about God's goodness. I've proclaimed your glad tidings. I've proclaimed your righteousness in the great congregation. And I will not restrain my lips because you have shown me mercy and grace and loving kindness. You have shown me your presence in every way. So there's the past joyful testimony of God's deliverance. There is the present reflection on God's goodness and what God desires is not sacrifices, not offerings, but what he, what he desires is a broken and a contrite heart before him. And then there is a prayer for God's deliverance in the future. A prayer for God's deliverance in the future. Verses 11 through 17. Yet, O Lord, I will not withhold... Let, o Lord, you will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. As we move out in the future, as we continue to proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again, we must realize that we do it in his strength, as David says here, by his grace, by his compassion, and by his truth. 
It's grace, compassion, and truth that will preserve us. We don't preserve ourselves. We don't strengthen ourselves. We don't carry ourselves. But rather, God carries us into the future. If our focus changes, folks, if our focus changes in this place from worship and the Word and missions here and and beyond, if our focus changes off of that, then, then God has no reason to continue to bless us as he has for five and a half years. Our focus must be on him. Our focus must be on magnifying him. Our focus must be on lifting him up so that Somerset and beyond sees his goodness and grace and power and strength and sees his truth proclaimed through your life and my life. The truth of God, the truth of his resurrection, the truth of his sacrificial death. Those things must be our message. Those things must be our method as we go forward. He acknowledges in 12 that even though God has preserved him in times past and is, 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 is being good to him in the present, he acknowledges in verse 12 that it's, it's, he's not at the end of the road. Evils beyond, uh, evils beyond number have surrounded me. My own iniquities have overtaken me, so I'm not able to see. They're more numerous than the hairs of my head which for some of you may not be too many, but there are numerous sins. They're more numerous than the hairs of my head. My heart has failed me. I I think he's saying there, if we look to ourselves, we will fail. If we look to ourselves, our sins will overtake us. Our iniquities will enslave us again. And those around us who seek to to deny our Lord and seek to destroy his testimony will surround us all over again. But He says in verse 14, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. And then he closes in that verse 17 says, I'm afflicted and I'm needy. That is poor there. I'm, I'm poverty stricken, not necessarily with worldly goods, but I'm, I'm poverty-stricken in my own strength. I can't do it. Let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help, and you are my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. You hear his prayer? You hear his prayer saying, I, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not Mr. or Ms independent. I'm not one that thinks I can do all this on my own. Hey, I've got this Christian life thing figured out and I'll just do it. I'll just go around asking the question, what would Jesus do? And and we'll fall flat on our face because that's not the right question. The question is to reflect on what did, what has Jesus done? Not what would he do, what did he do? on the cross, through the resurrection, to bring about our relationship with Almighty God. That is the truth of the message that we proclaim. And the, and the psalmist says, David says, I want you, O Lord, to deliver me. I want you to be my help. You're my help and my deliverer. I trust in you and you alone. I love that 16th verse. 
the one we use as a call to worship, and the one we will close this service with. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Why do we seek him? We seek him because he sought us. Paul said in Romans 3, he said, no one seeks after God. It's a pretty emphatic statement. But the point he's making is no one seeks apart from the Holy Spirit opening their eyes. He talks here in this psalm about my ears you have opened. I can now see. I can now hear. You have shown me your truth. And now as we're we're brought to life in Christ, then we pursue him. We desire him above everything else. Let those who have been saved, it's saved. Let those who have been regenerated, given new life, born again, however you want to say it. Let all who know you rejoice because we will be seeking you and we will be glad in you. You will be our source of strength and you will be our source of contentment. And he must be our source of contentment individually and he must be our source of contentment corporately as Grace Baptist Church. Let those... Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. How how do you say the Lord be magnified? Like I started this message. Many times it means stepping out of the way and quit eclipsing him. Many times it means to get out of the way and point to him, not pointing to ourselves. You see, so often we want to just think, want people to think how great we are, don't we? We want people to say, oh, wow, Bill Haynes, he's really a good man. Don't ask my wife or my kids. They might give a different answer. It's not about me. and It's not about you. It's about him. And we've got to get out of this wanting to be seen as somehow a, a super spiritual Christian and somebody that's that's just good in everything we do. And we've got to step away, undo the eclipse, and point our attention toward him and toward the cross and toward the glory of God and toward the power of God and toward the majesty of God. That is our call. That is our purpose. If you're a believer, that is your responsibility in the world in which you live. Let us magnify the Lord. Let us magnify his name. Let us be to Somerset and beyond a telescope that helps them get focused on the greatness and the glory and the grandeur of our Lord. Let us be a telescope that points to him. Let's pray together. your heads bowed and your eyes closed as you pray, I just want you to know everything I've said today is contingent upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead to show that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. He was God incarnate and he died in our place. He took the nails that we deserved. He took the spear in his side that we deserved. He wore the crown of thorns that we deserved. If 
you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I invite you to Christ. Not to Grace Baptist, not to a church, not to a denomination. I invite you to Christ. Christ alone can save. Right where you are, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, I, I, I just pray that you'll sort of pray with, a, pray with David out of Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me, any sinful way in me. If there is, Lord, cleanse me of it right now by the blood of Christ. Father, we trust in you open our eyes by your Holy Spirit to see our need for a Savior. And Father, we trust in you to open our eyes to see that there is but one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Father, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Father, draw us close to you through the cross, through his death. Draw us close to you, O Lord, that we might abide in you and know you for all eternity. Father, we place our trust in you, and we ask you to do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment is... Christ arose. Tradition.